0: Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your host, Ian and Today, we're talking about the big uglies up front. That's right, the offensive line. Look, we're, it's a fantasy football podcast. We're going to spin and talk about all the skill position players that you all know. But come on now, I cannot stress enough. The importance of the offensive line they never get enough credit for having you know other than the qb arguably the most influence on the entire offense and in fantasy land we want good offenses so pay attention people because i am thrilled to have on a former nfl lineman himself to talk about arguably the most important position group on the field five-year former nfl pro you probably heard him all over the place in this industry particularly on his namesake pod ross
1: tucker ross thanks for coming on man how's it going Ian, my pleasure. It was awesome when you came on the Fantasy Feast podcast a couple weeks ago. You absolutely killed it. You had good numbers. I love the A.J. Brown stuff. <laughs> it was fantastic. Anybody missed it, make sure you go back a couple weeks ago and check out Ian on my Fantasy Feast podcast. But, yeah, I here's what I always say about the O-line. I think it is the – deciding factor if if it's a tie between two dudes right like when it comes to drafting and you're like man i don't know about this guy versus this guy and you're going back and forth go with the team one with the better o-line like if you're legitimately torn it can be the tiebreaker o-lines can be the tiebreaker and i have found it it becomes very helpful because a lot of times where you're torn between two guys when you're torn Go with the better O-line, because that gives them a much better chance to succeed. I think people are willing to take that approach with quarterbacks,
0: but you're right. But the offensive line, that has just as good a chance of sinking an entire offense. So, you know, be careful. Like, even the Browns last year, the hype was out of control. One thing we kind of point to maybe being questionable was that offensive line, and turned out to be the case there, at least. So, okay, everyone, two main themes today. I'm going to talk up some offensive line continuity, returning starters from 2019, and then simply some of the league's best and worst units. So quickly, how we're determining a starter from last year, if they played at least 50% of the offensive snaps or were a week one starter. So with that said, the following teams have all five offensive linemen back: the Cardinals, Falcons, Bills, Texans, Colts, Jaguars, Raiders, and Rams. Now Ross there's a difference between continuing a great offensive line and a bad offensive line. And that's the struggle here and the worry I have with the Rams. Cause I mean, they regressed big time in 2019. This was a line where Gurley went out at the end of the season. CJ Anderson walked in. It was like nothing changed. Goff was setting all kinds of efficiency marks. Just, it was incredible, but, whole offensive lines back. I mean, re-signing Andrew Whitworth, the only upgrade they made in the entire unit was a seventh round pick. Do you think Sean McVay is enough of a genius to make this work, even though we probably shouldn't expect much of an improvement
1: across the front? So it's a good question. And I will say in general for this year, Ian, and I've been saying this on all my podcasts, I am very much leaning towards teams that have continuity and chemistry in general, right? Like, You've got the head coach and coordinators back. You've got the same quarterback. you got a lot of veterans back, right? So we know that there's abbreviated training camp, limited practice time, and it's, talent still matters, but I am fading as a general rule. Look, there's always exceptions, but as a general rule, fading rookies, I'm fading teams with new quarterbacks, fading teams with – a bunch of new guys on the offensive line or elsewhere and it's especially true on the offensive line because it's really the only position group where at least 75% of the time in some way shape or form you are working in concert with one of the guys next to you yeah Anything else in life the more often you do it the more familiar you are with the guy the better you'll be, the more comfortable you'll be. So often, you need to know when he's going to leave in pass pro. You need to know on the double teams at the point of attack, when you're going to feel for it and go up to the linebacker. It just, you just kind of get that sense, like anything else in life. And so, I I like the teams that have all five guys back. You know, for the Rams, it really comes down to the development of the young guys. So, that's Brian Allen back at center, you know, David Edwards and Note Bloom and Bobby Evans, Austin Corbett. You know, Havenstein and, and Wentworth are going to be the tackles, right? Like, we know that. Uh, pretty confident Brian Allen's the center. And then for the guards, you've got Blythe, who got to a Super Bowl with them, Corbett, who they traded for last year. But then these other guys, Note Bloom and Edwards, It's either year two two or year three for all these guys. It's time, right? Now, I know they haven't had OTAs in minicamp, but it's time. They basically, first of all, they didn't have a lot of money to spend. But secondly, they decided, you know what? We've invested a lot of mid-round picks in these dudes. We're going to have four of them battle it out. You know, and I just mentioned them. Four or five, depending on what they do with Bobby Evans. we got these guys battling it out. And we need one or two to step up and show that they can play confidently. Yeah. And I, I think that they got a shot. I really do. Uh, you know, none of those guys was great last year, but they were kind of in and out of the lineup, moving guys around, trying to figure out the best group. I think if they can figure that out, which maybe that's tough with no preseason games, but figure it out and let Whitworth and the guy next to him, whether that's Corbett or not, really start to develop a rapport. Let the right guard, probably Blythe, but they'll let those other guys compete, establish a, a rapport as well. Because really, the only differences between 2018 and 2019 were really the center and the left guard. You know, no more right. Saffold and Sullivan. They went young and it backfired. But I also say that the returning guys, Blythe and, and Havenstein, they were not as good on the right side of the line. So they need those guys to get back to their 2018 form.
0: Yeah good stuff, man. We did see the Rams, I think, as that season went on. McVeigh realized that it wasn't the same group of world beaters. You know, after their bye week, we saw them really get away from that three wide receiver, just almost all the time offense, using so much more Tyler Higby, you know, just pretty much coming to grips with the fact they needed to, you know, help out their five offensive linemen. So would not count out Sean McVeigh by any stretch. And as you said, man, they must feel pretty good about this group if they're bringing the dudes back. So staying in this division, I want to talk about the Cardinals because they were an interesting case last year. Uh, you know, PFF a lot of studies we've done, a lot of the pressures we chalk up End up being the quarterback's fault more so than the offensive line. And that's particularly true with Kyler Murray. I mean, only Deshaun Watson and Jacoby Brissett have more pressures attributed to a quarterback other than Kyler Murray. And look, the run game in Arizona was fantastic. They have all five starters back. It's a situation where they didn't, like, you know, all these offensive line grades and stuff, they didn't grade out all that great. But I think, you know, when you watch Kyler last year, got better as you went on with handling pressure, was a little, you know, happy feet early on. It seems like a situation where they could take the next step. But I'm just a little concerned. I mean, you know, I'm not the first person to bring up the 2020 Cardinals look like the 2019 Browns. We saw what sank the Browns last year, and it was that offensive line. Do you think the Cardinals are sound enough up front to kind of be the fun, sleep, hype team everyone wants them to be?
1: You know, I, I do. And I'll tell you why. They, they've essentially added three guys. So even though they have all five starters back, Humphreys, Pugh, Mason Cole, Sweezy, and, and Marcus Gilbert, well, really, Justin Murray. They've got Gilbert back after the injury last year. Then they signed Calvin Beecham, and they drafted Josh Jones in the third round out of Houston. Some people thought he could be a first-round pick. So in my mind, I- I'm big on depth. I'm big on having guys that can be in there competing. And so they actually have now a bunch of – good competition, especially at the tackle spots. Humphreys is good, but they've got guys that can battle it out at right tackle. I think they feel like between Murray and Jones and Gilbert, they're going to get competent play at right tackle, which was the biggest concern for them last Mm -hmm. year. My issue is really the interior depth. You know, Max Garcia better be ready to go because if Pew or Cole or Sweezy gets hurt, they don't have a lot of experience behind them. That would probably be – Garcia would be the guy that they would put in there. But I do think I, – I don't think that they're as bad as the Browns' O-line last year at all. I think it's a, a fair comparison, but I think they got a better group up front this year than the Browns had a year ago. Okay. Yeah, I think
0: that's fair and great points about the guys they added. Now, let's stick on the Browns here because this is an offensive line that – yeah. Pretty much the reason why things did not work out for them last year. If you had to go to it now, Baker needed to be better and when he was kept clean and all that, too. But the offensive line was the root of those issues. We probably should have known something was up when they released Greg Robinson, like right after the preseason, only to sign him back. I, I know it was like a cost saving move and some clever finances, but it's not good to be having that approach to your starting left tackle. Good news is they've signed Jack Conklin, they drafted Jedrick Wills with the number 10 overall pick. I mean, This is the kind of prime post-hype team we're looking at in Cleveland. Do you think the offensive line is now good enough for them to be the the team this year that everyone thought they were going to be in 2019?
1: So um, they've clearly upgraded with Jedrick Wills at left tackle, Conklin at right tackle. I even like Nick Harris in the fifth round. I thought that was a good pick, the center out of UW. And now what they have, too, is with Chris Hubbard, that's an awesome third tackle. And Chris could even play guard if they need him to if something happened to Betonio or – I mean, Chris Hubbard's about as good of a six man as there is in the league. So the concern there would be how much are they going to throw it? And I think with Stefanski, it's going to be a lot of the Kubiak stuff, a lot of the boot stuff – I think Jack Conklin will perform well there. I don't think Conklin's the guy you want just doing straight drop-back passing all the time. He's better in the run game, better in the play-action stuff. I'd be lying, Ian, if I didn't say I'm not a little bit concerned with Jedrick Wills on the left side. I mean, evidently, he played right tackle in high school, certainly played right tackle at Alabama. I know he's been working on it a lot, uh, but it's muscle memory, man. I mean... I'm sure he's been in a left-handed stance. I'm sure he's been going against bags. Maybe even some dudes from from back home he can find, just lighten him up a little bit, like I used to back in high. I used to go back. <laughs> I used to literally, Ian, right before training camp, I'd go, I'd go to my high school field with the high school team, and I would line up two kids at each spot. Cause my whole thing was I could play all five. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I'd line up two high school kids at each spot. And I would do one-on-ones, me against those 10, and just go center, right guard, right tackle, boom. And, like they, you know, they're high school kids, but they were lighter, like, so they can move around. Like, they can make you move your feet. You have to jack them up. I would just work on different things. Um, hopefully, Wills has um, – time because they say there might be eight to 14 padded practices. That's not a lot of time in a left-handed stance you know, it just, it's a different fit, right? When you're punching somebody, when you're getting in there on a double team, it's, everything's just a little bit different. So I think they're going to have a good offensive line. I think if they struggle, if they have any issues, it'll be early. But that they'll get better and better as the season goes. And I said this with everybody. I, I love when you have a six-man like Hubbard. That guy's going to end up starting eight games probably for you when somebody goes down. Yeah. And he'll be able to plug right in and play fine.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a good point. Just how many practices are they going to have to truly get this right? And along with the Browns, these are teams returning three or fewer starters from last year. We also have the Broncos, Lions, Giants, Seahawks, Panthers, Chargers, Dolphins and Jets and I want to focus real quick though one more thing on the Browns here I agree with everything you said there but I mean Baker Mayfield and you know we had Evan Sova on the first uh, episode here talking quarterbacks and one thing Evan brought up about Baker was this kind of issue we've seen with him going back to his days at Oklahoma where he you know even when the pocket is clean sometimes he just has a tendency to try to roll out right you know get away from pressure It was a lot easier against big 12 defenses than against defensive ends that are much faster than him but do you buy into the idea that you know this is Young quarterback that's faced a lot of pressure early on can, you know, quote unquote get spooked and just kind of struggle to play within the scheme, even once they do improve the protection around them.
1: So, great point. So, first of all, I love what you said about the Cardinals, about Kyler Murray. And what I like about Kyler Murray is he admitted that this offseason. He said a lot of those sacks, a lot of those pressures, that was on me. I love that. That's called being a leader. He was a rookie. That's going to happen. You'd rather have him taking sacks that he shouldn't and getting hit when he shouldn't, as opposed to throwing picks. And so I thought that spoke well of Kyler Murray, but make Baker Mayfield. I was pretty disappointed. You know, it's almost like Ian, everybody talked so much about how bad the O line was that he like got that in his head. And there'd be times where he had a clean pocket and everything was good and he would start to run around, start to run out to the right, start to roll around. And the thing is, is he's not really athletic enough to do that. He's just not. Yeah. He needs to be more Drew Brees and less Russell Wilson. Yeah. That's what I would tell Baker Mayfield. You, you He's accurate. He's smart, I think. You got to be Drew Brees, bro. You, you're, you're not going to – Russell Wilson, I've never seen anything like it. I mean – D-Lyman can't touch him when he's like running around back there. Baker, that's not you, bro. It's just not. (laughs) He needs to be more like Drew Brees. I think Stefanski will be able to do a pretty good job of letting him know that. I also think Baker throws the ball on the move pretty well and seems to me like he'd be a good fit for a lot of the boot action, play action stuff they want to do as opposed to just the drop back passing. I think, you know, if they get that zone game going with Chubb and Hunt and start throwing it off of that, I think, I think Baker can have a great year. I mean, look what Kirk Cousins did last yeah. year. I think Baker's a more talented quarterback. And so I'd be excited if I were a Browns fan because I think Stefanski's the real deal.
0: Exciting year for sure. But I mean, some of those points you brought up RY Baker is honestly at the top of my fade list and fancy land, just because he's still being drafted people almost as his borderline QB one. And he's probably going to be in more of a run first offense this year than we saw. And with no rushing floor to speak of, we're just going to need a massive efficiency hike. And you know, he was outside the top 30 QBs when it was a clean pocket last year. And hey, should be a better situation. Third year QB room to improve, but I am not buying him, you know, near the ceiling that we've seen before right now so moving on another team three or three returning starters Los Angeles Chargers, now I found a cool stat with these guys because I've been fascinated with the idea that, you know, a rushing QB can really help open up a team's run game. And so I was looking at yards before contact per rush team-wide. And here are the top four teams the last five years. Your 2019 Cardinals with Kyler Murray, 2019 Ravens with Lamar Jackson, and then we have your 2015 and 2016 Bills with Tyrod Taylor under center. Ross, could you explain the benefits of, you know, having a rushing QB and, like, how that can help, uh, you know, just – I guess,
1: uh, really helps st- st- streamline an elite offensive line? Yeah, so first of all, that's awesome that you got those numbers and those stats. That makes perfect sense to me. And so having a quarterback that adds the running element does two things. Number one, it takes away the defense's number count advantage, right? So typically, you know, you have, let's say, say you have seven blockers, right, or six blockers you got the offensive line and a tight end, and then you got the running back, um, and then you've got the quarterback. Well, they're going to have seven guys down there in that situation. Even if you have two tight ends and the running back or a tight end fullback and the running back, they're going to always have one more guy than you do because they want to have an unblocked defender. Well, if they have to account for the quarterback, he's really not – Unblocked. I mean, there might not be somebody physically hitting him, but somebody has to account for the quarterback. So, so many of those runs where it's the zone read, read option, those type of plays, they're, they're not blocking one guy because they're making that guy accountable for the quarterback. What that does, Ian, is that gives the O-line awesome angles, absolutely awesome angles because you can essentially – work back a guy because the quarterback's holding the the, the guy on the front side or the backside, depending on the play. So that doesn't surprise me at all. And really, the quarterback doesn't even have to run that much. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to get to the point in the NFL where teams are going to realize they only need that guy to run two to four times per game. Two to four is enough that the defense has to honor it every time, and you don't have to get that guy beat up. You look at some of the holes that the Ravens have, some of the angles they get. I mean, I remember last year doing a game. You watch the end zone copy of the Ravens. There's plays where Lamar Jackson comes out with the ball or a running back. There's nobody there. I mean, Nick Boyle, the tight end, is looking around like, there's not even anybody here. I mean, that's the other thing. It's the angles – It's having the guy have to be accounted for, so the number count advantage, but you're also able to do a bunch of things scheme-wise that defenses haven't seen that often. So it's all of those. It's having to account for them, the angles that creates, but also the new schemes that they're not used to because the quarterback's a run threat. And this is exactly
0: why I've been trying to keep people on the Austin Eckler train. Yes, it sucks Rivers left in the ex- to the extent that he's not going to catch nine touchdowns again next year. He's not going to catch over 90 balls, probably. But also, Eckler's number one competition for carries left in Melvin Gordon. He's going to be the lead back of an improved rushing attack. And he can still, you know, Tyrod's plenty fine enough to throw the ball out to Eckler when he's open as well. Keep buying Austin Eckler, everyone. All right. Awesome stuff on some of the continuity. Now, we we'll to look at some of the league's best and worst units. Now, Ross, I know you've got your, uh, you know, rankings coming out here soon if you haven't released them already. PFF just released ours earlier in July. And the top five we came up with, Colts, Saints, Cowboys, Packers, and Ravens. Now, all these, not specifically the Colts, Packers, and Ravens. In fantasy land, these are tough because we have multiple backs in all these backfields. We know the offensive lines are good. We, we know the offenses should be pretty good. Do you see these rushing games being dominant enough to enable multiple high-end fantasy backs? And I'm talking about, again, the
1: Colts, Packers, and Ravens. So I think that, I, I think that they're all – I mean, the Packers really want to run the rock. I mean, based on, you know, taking A.J. Dillon in the second round, what the Packers think they need to do to have success they also didn't draft any wide receivers Mm -hmm. so that part of it's pretty clear I have them number three I think the Packers O-line's really good I had ours is similar actually I had Colts one Saints two you know what I like about the Colts is they got the same five guys back that's huge Um, and what I like about Saints are probably the most talented but you know you got Cesar Ruiz in the first round coming in for Warford, we'll see. You know, we'll see how a rookie does with very limited practices, right? I mean, that's a little bit of a risk that they're taking there. Really like the Packers. I mean, I thought Elston Jenkins for a rookie last year at left guard was excellent. You know, right guard still a little bit questionable. We'll see how Ricky Wagner does at right tackle. But I still like the Packers quite a bit. Um, And that's what they want to do. I, I think the Colts. Are gonna want to run the ball. I don't think they want to rely that much on Rivers arm. So to answer your question, I you know, I don't know if they can have two dominant fantasy rushing attacks, but I do think the rushing attack can be dominant enough that the lead dog is still a big dog, if that Not makes sure. sense, right? Yeah. Like yeah. so between I don't care what they say, between Marlon Mack and Jonathan Dale, one of those guys is gonna emerge yeah. and get more of the carries, more of the touches. And even if the other guy is getting a third, right, or a quarter for Mac or Taylor. And then same thing for the Packers. Um, although I don't know, I'm curious to see how much they actually use A.J. Dillon this year. I, I'm fascinated by that. I almost wonder if they got him primarily because they don't want to pay Aaron Jones and they kind of wanted a banger of a back and they wanted to get ahead of the game envisioning losing Jones in free agency next year.
0: If they want to go with Jones as the lead back that also takes all the pass down work and Dylan as more of the early down guy, I get that. I don't, I don't understand when I hear LaFleur talking about, you know, how they need that third back to get over the hump and, you know, implying uh, Williams is still going to be as involved as ever. So yeah, Packers is one of the, you know, just the, Biggest question marks. so we're going to want to pay more attention to that week one snap counts than ever. All right, last thing on this point, the Ravens. I mean, this was literally the most efficient rushing attack, we, uh, rushing attack we've ever seen just in terms of yards per carry in a single season. I mean, everyone's back. We talk about continuity from the coaching staff to Lamar to the line. I mean, I know Marcianda, uh retired, but other than that, man, they're all the way back. We would expect them to regress to some extent, because it's so hard to be that good again. But, I mean, it's hard to find a reason why the Ravens, like, aren't going to be a
1: top-five offense again next year, right? Well, they're going to be a top-five offense. But I'll say a couple of things. Number one, you know, Yanda was still awesome last year. Yeah. So losing him, that hurts. And they've got DJ Fluker and Bredesen and Phillips and Powers. I mean, we talked earlier about some teams throwing mid-round picks at it. The Ravens have thrown a bunch of mid-round picks at the guard positions. They want to try to make sure they're good to go there. They knew Yana was going to retire at any point. So I like the fact that they've done that. But they're going to be a drop-off. I mean, there's going to be a drop-off at right guard. The other thing I think is interesting, you know, I love Greg Roman, Ian. I, I think he's a genius seeing what they do with the run scheme last year. I absolutely love it. But you've got to think this whole offseason, the, the coronavirus. Like, what do these D coordinators do other than stu- in the AFC North in particular, other than study the Ravens running game, yeah. talk to college guys? I'm not saying they're going to shut it down. They're not. It's, I, I don't think it's shut down a bull. I really don't. But I think they're going to have a better plan and they're going to do a better job against it, like the Titans did yeah. in the divisional round. I thought Greg Roman got away from the run a little bit too early in that game. I thought the Titans had an awesome plan for early down and distance, and it worked, and it, they slowed down the Ravens' rushing attack quite a bit. And Ravens better figure it out, because people are going to do that exact same thing to them that the Titans did with more or less like a 6-1 defense until the, the Ravens prove that they can handle it. So there, there will be regression for multiple reasons, but I still picture them – you know, in the top five, maybe just not the most efficient rushing off as we've ever seen. <laughs> exactly. There's just not much room to go up at this point. So uh, another highly
0: rated front 49ers uh, PFF has them as the league's eighth best offensive line, man. They lost their longtime left tackle Joe Staley, but they might have just upgraded at the, at the position depending on what Trent Williams can provide at this point in his career. I mean, you know, we talk about can defenses figure out what the Ravens are doing from last year this year. Well, no one's really been able to figure out what Kyle Shanahan's doing in the run game the entire time he's been calling plays. Any reason to believe the 49ers won't be a top-tier offense again in 2020?
1: No, not really. Yeah. Uh, they get Richburg back at center. So as long as he's healthy, that's an upgrade over what they had late in the year with Ben Garland. I think right guard is a position to watch, you know, because – They cut Mike Person, who later retired. So I think they got some young guys they like, like School and Brunskill, who might even have a chance to get in there at guard along and battle with Compton. But there could be a little bit of a downgrade there. But, yeah, man, I mean, who loses Joe Staley after all these years to retirement and then you replace him with Trent Williams? It's pretty remarkable when you think about it. And I think it gives them a chance to have the line be every bit as good as they were last year. I have them at seven in my rankings because really, if you think about it, you know, person was up and down last year. So even if that's a a net negative or about even, they have Trent, I think is going to be an upgrade because he wants to get paid and Richburg's an upgrade. I think the Niners offensive line ends up even being better than they were last year.
0: Yeah, it's the situation, too, where I think we were being all oh, a little too harsh on Jimmy G and, you know, what he did last year. First year coming off an ACL tear. And I realized the first part of the season, he didn't have to do anything because they were just running the ball. Same thing that happened in the playoffs. They just did not need him. But second half of that season, Jimmy G was actually putting up some numbers. I mean, only Lamar had more forward passing touchdown games on the season than Jimmy G did last year. I mean, he's one of the prime late round quarterbacks out there right now. He's not going to give you a bunch of rushing upside, but and there's a reason he's going as the QB 20. Feel free to buy there. Okay. PFF bottom five offensive lines. We have the Seahawks, the Washington football team, Chargers, Bengals, and Dolphins. I want to focus on those latter two teams because they're the ones with the new uh, rookie quarterbacks coming in, seemingly vying to start in week one, Joe Burrow and Tua. Man, these were two pretty brutal offensive lines last year, but both of these quarterbacks are special enough to seemingly make some noise as early as 2020. Do you think either or the Bengals and Colts are able, strong enough up front to you know, help out these rookie
1: call- signal callers in 2020? So, I have the, the Bengals 32. I have them as the worst offensive line in the NFL. I feel bad for Joe Burrow. It's a really bad recipe. You know, you've got a rookie quarterback, number one. Number two, no OTAs, no mini camps, no preseason games, very little padded practices for not only his familiarity with the offense and the skill guys, but for the offensive line in front of him. I know they get Jonah Williams back. But you look at the other positions. Michael Jordan, below average. Billy Price or Michael Jordan, below average. Trey Hopkins, average. Suofilo, below average. Bobby Hart, below average. And Jonah Williams is like a rookie. You know, he didn't play last year. He was hurt. Didn't play a snap. So they're 32. They're easily 32. And you know, it's weird that they upgraded the defense, like D.J. Reeder and, and Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander. But you don't improve the O-line. Like, you don't get anybody better on the O-line when you know they knew they were getting a rookie quarterback. I, I, I don't get it. And I, I think it's one reason why uh, I don't know if Burrow even lasts the season. He's going to get the snot beat out of him. Uh, I love Joe Burrow, but that's rough. Dolphins are a little bit different. They got a lot of dudes coming in now. You know, Bengals don't have any – I mean, Jonah Williams is the only real upgrade. Right. And that's just because he was hurt. Bengals take – I mean, the Dolphins take Austin Jackson in the first round. Solomon Kinley in the fourth round. Ted Karras, they get in free agency from New England. He's solid. You got Dieter back, but you also added Robert Hunt in the second round. So Hunt and Kinley are going to be battling Dieter to be – the guards. You got those three guys battling for the two guard spots. Jesse Davis was okay last year at tackle. Maybe he battles with Davenport. I think maybe Austin Jackson, the first round plays. I just think that there's enough resources put in on Miami's part that look, they're not going to be worse than they were last year. They were bad last year. They were really bad. They're not going to be worse than they were last year, bringing in one, two, three, four new guys like that. So, I like that. I mean, it's not continuity. It'll take them a little bit of time. But they really didn't lose anybody up front, and they're adding four pretty good resources to try to grow that. So might take a couple weeks to sort it out, both the competition part of it and those guys their feel for each other. But I, I had them at 25 because I believe that they will be significantly better than they were last year. I mean, they never seen being in the 32nd offensive line and 25th is a lot. Yeah. I mean, 32nd. You stink, you're poor, 25th, you're just below average. There's there's a big difference. It seems like the Dolphins and the Jets almost just took a page out
0: of the Bills book because the Bills, I mean – brutal offensive line you know first season with Josh Allen and what they do going into last year they just threw a bunch of resources at the position and now they finally have the continuity to help build things out we'll see and yeah man like that was the problem with the Bengals it's not like anyone looked at that offensive line and said oh they're one player away from being this great unit as awesome as Jonah Williams might be there are just more issues there I've been really high in Joe Burrow throughout this process but starting to move him down just a little bit I mean if it was more of a regular season that'd be one thing but with these Issues with the O line. I mean, starting off the year, Chargers, Browns, Eagles, Ravens, Colts, Jaguars, thrown in there. Not easy
1: lines to deal with. And and not only that, Ian, LSU's offensive line was awesome last yeah. year. Yeah, like they all went pro. They were all. I mean, you go right down. It's like Cushingberry and Damian Lewis. Like he he had a lot of time last year. It's going to be a different ball game. It's like you're going against Steelers defense, the Ravens now that they got. Guys like Calais Campbell to go with Judon. I mean, it's going to be rough, bro. I'm just telling you, it's going to be rough for Burrow. And I love Burrow, but. No, I hear you,
0: man. Again, that's, that's why with these players, keep in mind that offensive line, people. It can take a great player to average in a hurry. So, Ross, that's all I have, man. You are awesome. Everyone, make sure you go follow Ross on Twitter, at Ross Tucker NFL, and check out the Feast Ross Tucker podcast. Ross, anything else you want to plug, man?
1: No, that's it. At Ross Tucker NFL on all the uh, social media platforms. All the podcast stuff is at Ross Tucker pod. Um, And you mentioned the fantasy Feast. I got a new YouTube page, putting up some cool videos there. YouTube.com slash Ross Tucker NFL. Other than that, make sure you check out Ian's appearance on the fantasy feast because he killed it. Check that
0: out. Check that out, everyone. Thank you again, Ross. And for Ross, I'm Ian. Take care.